listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hey, excuse me. Your Dropbox out front was full and I have to return some videotapes. Oh, and sorry it's a day late. Oh, hey, no problem, Danielle. That's fine. It'll be five bucks. By the way, how do you like our new video rental business here at Barcode? Pretty neat, huh? Dude, you guys have an awesome selection. I mean, war games, swordfish, and you can't beat sneakers. But you only have VHS tapes, and I think the picture quality could be improved slightly by, say, fast-forwarding to the 21st century. Uh, You millennials are all the same with your digital shit. When I was your age... Whoa, 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 hold up, Tony. She has a point, man. You are running a video rental biz here with VHS tapes, man. Really? I mean, who still owns a VCR? You got any Atari 2600 games back there I could rent out? Oh, yeah, wise guy, huh? You know how it works, Chris. You don't have to worry about corrupt files or buffering issues when you're not streaming movies. It just just works. It's a simple operation, just like this drink I'm about to make you. It's called the Time Warp. Half ounce of Grand Marnier, one and a half ounces of light rum, two tablespoons of grenadine, one dash of lime juice. Add all of that into a cocktail shaker with ice, shake it until chilled, strain into a cocktail glass with some fresh ice, and enjoy. Dude, I love the concept for the drink and for your video rental biz, but come on, man. Let's fast forward and get these people some awesome security movies that they can actually watch and enjoy on today's devices. Well, well, how do you expect me to do that? That's way too much overhead involved. Nah, relax, man. I actually have a guy coming in right now that knows a thing about taking compliance from VHS level to on demand with ease. And I think he can help you out with your side hustle, too. Well, that's awesome. I think your boy just walked in, so I think it's showtime. Okay, well, I'll let you know what I find out. Hey, thanks, man. And I'll see you next round. But remember, be kind and rewind. Igor Volovich is an award-winning cybersecurity executive and an industry thought leader with over 20-plus years in the business. A true leader, advisor, strategist, author, speaker, and above all, just an awesome dude to get to know and be connected with. Igor, thanks for joining me today at Barcode Man. Chris, thank you. With that intro, I've got a lot to live up to, so I'm, I'm going to do my best. Yeah, you got it, man. So um, one aspect that I know you are well-versed in is compliance, and your current role is VP of Compliance Strategy over there at Cumulus. And uh, yeah, for the people whose eyes just started shutting when I said the word compliance, wake up. It's about to get good. It's not your granddaddy's compliance is, is the way we're thinking about it. And uh, no, and I appreciate, I appreciate the, the shout out uh, to our folks at, uh, at Cumulus, the big Q. And uh, actually, that's the name of the upcoming podcast that we're launching uh, very soon called The Big Q with Igor, Nice, where we ask the big questions. So, you know, Cumulus, we're all about the brand and we're all about the team and, and the Q, 
the letter Q kind of lives in, in everything. So we call ourselves the squad and our folks are called the Cumulites. And so that team, uh-huh. uh, they're, they're pretty, the core is very, very important to us. So the big Q with Igor. So that's coming up. So a little shout out about that. Uh, but yeah, the idea of compliance, it's been it's been relegated to the kind of the confines, the corners of the cybersecurity sphere. It's, it's, some would say it's not even part of cybersecurity. It's like its own thing. And it's very audit-like and it's very paper-based and it's very much about, you know, killing a lot of trees and, and shuffling a lot of paperwork. And we've, of course, we've automated a lot of that stuff in the past. And we've tried things with GRC and we've done things with different kinds of platforms. But ultimately, when you peel back the covers, a lot of it turns out to be kind of spreadsheets with a fancy UI on them. And we try to do some visualizations and we try to do some, uh, you know, some fun things around that. But ultimately, a lot of these processes, if you kind of peel, peel back the covers and you and you look at how they're built, uh, a lot of that legacy GRC space is kind of just fancy spreadsheets. Mm. And uh, a lot of that data collection is very manual. Uh, and a lot of the outputs are very manual. So, you know, we still, in, in the compliance space, most folks still live and die by Excel, with pivot tables and PowerPoint for demonstrating the actual compliance state. And, uh, and that's problematic. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point too, that the de facto perspective of compliance is often just boring, right. And viewed as just a mundane task. Um, it reminds me of a, uh, of a doctor's physical, right? You hate to do it, but it's a yearly task that you're required to do to help keep you running. Right. Well, I'm a pilot, so um, you have flight physicals and uh, depending on the risk that you represent, right? So if you're carrying passengers, you have to have a an annual physical. And if you are not, then you can get away with doing it once every three years or five years even. But it's about, about risk, right? You know, folks who fly for the airlines, they have to have every six months, they have to get checked out. You know, there's a lot of stringent uh, requirements for them and they have to have a first class medical is what they call it. So. It's, it's the same kind of idea, right? Depending on risk, you have to have a different cadence. And um, within this space that we live in, right, the threat environment that we operate in, the, the proliferation of threats, the, the attack surface that we all now are facing, the reality is you can't have that cadence. You can't go every six months. You can't go to an annual physical for your cyber health, right? You've got to have it on a continuous basis. And, and having that continuous compliance mindset, it's very hard to implement if you're doing it based on manual processes that you maybe try to wrap some automation around. We're talking about really converging all of your data in a single space, right? Where you can, you can derive insights out of it and it has to be converged and it has to be continuous. And, and so the idea that we came up with, and it's part of our brand now, it's converge continuous compliance. It means it's what Anton Chuvakin refers to as figuring out what's left of it and we're figuring out what's right of it. In the middle is whatever that is, right? It could be a SIM, could be a GRC, it could be however you bring that data together and what you do with it. You really got to focus on both ends of that, you know, the inputs and the outputs. And, and we will look at it holistically when we say to a client or we say to a prospective client, how are you doing it now? And the answer is it's important. And we're trying to capture the current state, but ultimately we understand there's going to be some level of transformation, not just in terms of deploying a product, but really reforming, restructuring, rethinking, rearchitecting what -hmm. compliance even means. Not only how you do it, but where it fits within the context of risk. Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective. And I like that you pointed out the fact that it is difficult to implement. 
I feel like it's also difficult for many organizations to comprehend and and just to realize, you know, what compliance requirements they are really up against. And, you know, from that perspective, then what would you say is the biggest factor in transitioning from a traditional way of approaching compliance to more of a next gen compliance? Copyright barcode 2022. Yeah, that's that's been out there for a while, so I'm I'm kind of give you a little feedback on that. <laughs> Going around to the USPTO and try to trademark it. That's that's been out there for a while. I think it's one of those Xerox things. You know, it's been used so much; it's just a generic term at this point. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's kind of this. You know, what does it even mean, right? Well, what does converge continuous compliance means? We have some ideas around that, and and we think we have some unique perspectives on that on that particular idea uh, because of how much we rely on data automation natively. It's how much we rely on 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 a Splunk as the data layer. That, that's a big partner, right? So the data layer for us is Splunk. Uh, that gives us immediate access to pretty much anything you might have today or in the future. So it's future-proofed from the start. Uh, and at the same time, you have that flexibility of just adding any data source that you want. So that's very important. That's that. That's the front end, right? That's the, that's the input side. But then what do you do with the data once you have it? Right. And, right. and a lot of folks have focused historically on just let's collect everything. We don't know what it's good for. We, we can't figure out what the use cases are. The mandates are emerging very rapidly. We've seen, you know, after the solar winds, we've seen a lot of the executive orders, you know, 14028, uh, and then OMB M2131. We're talking about zero trust architecture from CISA. So we're seeing a lot of efforts that are resulting in, in real compliance mandates and requirements that folks have to deal with. And, and so they're scrambling, right? They understand on the one hand, it's a compliance obligation. And, and some of the smarter organizations, they're starting to understand it's not just a thing I have to do. There's value here, right? There is a real risk management framework that's behind this. If I work towards it, I can gain a better understanding of my, my, of my environment, but also I can increase my risk posture significantly. I can improve it. And, and so it's about maturity. It's about a journey. It's about enabling the kinds of controls that fit within a certain framework. It's, it becomes less about, Hey, I just got to check this box and send this thing every quarter, every six months or every year to somebody who can stamp it and go, yep, done. And then put it to bed. It's about this continuous mindset, right? If we are continuously validating our controls, we're continuously assessing where environment stands on a day to day basis, on a minute to minute basis. That's very hard to do manually. It's very hard to do if you have manual processes that you try to automate as well, right? So that's why I go back to that the, the transformational nature of this. It can't just be a product conversation. It can't just be a technology conversation. It can't just be a data conversation. It has to be people, process, technology, kind of the three pillars that we always talk about. And I say layers eight, nine, and 10 should not be discounted in any way. In fact, I think that that's a big focus that a lot of the companies miss out on, right? They, both on the vendor side and the client side, the way these technologies are consumed. I mean, if we look at EGRC, right, that entire market, it's, it's been kind of going downhill for a while. You know, a lot of people have, have said, you know, EGRC is dead and they've been saying it for a long time. I don't think it's dead, dead quite frankly. But I think a lot of the lessons that we had in the SIM world and a lot of lessons that we, we also came to see in the GRC world, they're very similar lessons. We didn't invest enough in capturing and understanding the organizational context and capturing those requirements, not just from, hey, I've got a mandate, I've got controls, I'm going to put it all together, I'm going to have some way to report it. That's, that's very basic. That's very pedestrian. We're talking about a strategic view of your entire risk management organization and, and saying, look, it's not just about converging the data and having the data live in the same spot. It's about converging the functions 
of compliance and security and having that kind of come together, right? So your threat hunting teams, your purple teams, your red teams, not just being technically minded, but actually having that risk context. And so we always talk about, you know, I need, I need my asset valuations. I need to understand what those asset risk scores are. And then we get wrapped around the axle and trying to get precision in those ratings and we never get it. And so we just give up and go back to just managing technology and buying more tools and stacking up our stack very high and having 75 tools to manage. And it hasn't been helpful. No, no, it hasn't. The threats keep going up. The breaches keep happening. We keep reading about it. So that's not the way to go. Clearly, it's throwing more people, more money, more technology at the problem is not going to solve it. There has to be a strategic shift. We believe, and I personally believe, that strategic shift has to happen around conversions. That is, if I were to say, you know, what's my big prediction for 2022? What is the big filter? If a CISO comes to me and says, look, what, what I need to be thinking about? Give me a filter. Give me a heuristic device. Right, some simple lens for looking at the marketplace. I would say there are two things I, w- I, I would look for and ask my vendors for. Convergence, what are you doing on that? And, and, and what do you mean? If, I, if I'm as a CISO asking a vendor, tell me about your convergence play, and they look at me like I've got two heads, that would be a data point for me, right? That would be a clue about where that particular vendor is in their strategic thinking, right? And the other one, are you building me a time machine of some, some sort? Right. That that would be a thing that I would ask. So what do you mean by time machine? Are you saving me time? Are you enabling me to shift resources from a highly manual task or set of tasks? Mm. And I don't care if I've automated to some degree, if they're inherently manual, that's a problem, right? So are you shifting me out of that or allowing me to shift resources from that to something that requires actual human cycles, like threat hunting, like uh, strategy? Like architecture, right? You can't automate strategy. You can't automate architecture. You can't automate threat hunting. So these are very manually intensive labor categories, and we need smart folks doing them. So if you've got 100 ISSOs, right, information system security officers, or ASOs as we call them, and all they're doing is shuffling paperwork and doing manual data calls, literally calling system owners and asking them for data, begging them for data on a quarterly basis, and then waiting to report that up to you once a quarter, and by the time, by the, in the meantime, the bad guys are, are running circles around your entire environment, penetrating it, going lateral, doing ransomware attacks, pulling data out, exfiltrating and all that. They're not living on that cadence. The bad guys don't wait for the quarterly report. They don't go, oh, oh you know, it's, it's a- April, let me go hack you. No, they do it now. So if you're not operating on that, on that time scale, it's, you know... What's that phrase? Uh, do you even lift, bro? Right? Are you even doing security if you're not doing it on a continuous converged timescale? And I think the answer is you don't. Right? So there you go. That's my big spiel. I've talked for a while. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ask, let you ask some more questions. No, I mean that was a great explanation. So if we are able to shift the momentum then of compliance, and we start to sort of modernize the image of what compliance really is. Can we use that then to attract people that are getting into security? Do you think that we can make compliance sexy to the outsiders? Boy, I mean, for the first time ever, it's like making audit sexy. I mean, when, when, when you say <laughs> audit, I remember I went to some, uh, to some event and, and somebody said, uh, there are a couple of professions in the U.S. that are universally despised, right? And it's used car salesmen and insurance salesmen. And, uh, and, and when, you, when you're asked to think of that image, it's... Invariably, it's a man wearing a bad blazer with a stained tie, 
with a beer gut. And like, that is just what statistically comes back when you say he described to me a prototypical, you know, used car sales guy, right? That's true. And uh, there are these kind of heuristic cognitive shortcuts, right? You know, these stereotypical things and audit and compliance, they kind of fit in that same boring category. And, and I think reframing, repositioning, rebranding is, is a big part of that. And I think you hit the nail on the head. How do we make it sexy? How do we make it interesting? And maybe, you know, kind of the, the, the small print underneath that is for the first time in history ever. Right. <laughs> and, and I think if, if uh, using things like converged continuous compliance, right, that is our attempt at getting folks to understand there is another way, there's a better way, there's a new way. And there's an aspirational quality to it, right? You know, I don't have converged continuous compliance. How do I get there? Uh, even though Cumulus is a vendor and, and, and we do produce technology and products, the thinking is what comes first. To me, trafficking in ideas is paramount as a prerequisite to tra- trafficking in, uh, in product, right? Before I sell you a piece of technology, I want to sell you on the idea. Right. Where does it fit? What's the context? What is the problem that it solves? And uh, look, uh, when I was mentoring at Mach 37, which was the first nation's first uh, cyber exclusive accelerator in Virginia, um, I went through what about 30 companies in about uh, four years. And uh, and what we would ask uh, our new startups and our founders is stop thinking about the product. Right. Screw your product. Forget your product. You know, I hate to be so explicit about it, but nobody cares about your product. Right. It, it doesn't matter. I, as a CISO, couldn't care less what it's called. I, I couldn't care less, you know, what brand colors you're trying to communicate some value to me through. Doesn't matter. It's, it, it really is about the value and it, and the value is about the context. And it's not about the features, right? It's what can, how can you make my life better? And, and if you tell me converge continuous compliance is a kind of a thing that does that, I'm going to challenge you on that. Right. So, Tell me why convergence is better. Notionally, I understand that it is, but tell me specifically, right? Break it down for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, right? And if I'm a, a smart CISO and I consume not technology, but capability, and I understand things within the context of risk management at the enterprise scale, uh, then yeah, I'm not buying products. I am buying capabilities. I'm enabling capabilities. And for for the reason, of course, ultimately of enabling my business to be a secure business, right? So all of that kind of maps to that. And if you don't know your business's value chain and you don't understand how your business makes money and what is the most exposed in that business, then you're operating in a vacuum, right? Then you are just kind of in a technology management role, right? You're just buying products, getting your stack to run, getting it to integrate. And, and when you look at incentives and you look at how a lot of the CISOs either are reporting or are forced to report their... What, their, their work, right? Their results, their, their maturity. A lot of it is wrapped around technology. So let's acknowledge that too, right? Um, so when we talk about compliance and making compliance sexier, it's not just a branding exercise. It's really kind of unpacking it and getting to the core of what compliance even is, right? Yeah. And maybe a better term is it's this continuous validation of controls. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That's, that's what we're trying to get to. It's validation of controls on a continuous basis in real time and giving you that time machine that you can travel ahead of the threat, right? And get ahead of the bad guys, right? Find, the, find your, your vulnerable assets first, which means you have to have visibility to them, right? Uh, we saw SolarWinds. We saw all the other threats that have emerged recently. Uh, you know, Log4j, perfect example. And if, if anybody's old enough to remember, we had Heartbleed, right? Everybody was scrambling. This is years ago, right? Where are my vulnerable uh, components? 
where's all my stuff that has that hard bleed vulnerable component in it? Log4j, everybody's scrambling trying to find out what that software component is. Guess what? If you had an asset inventory, if you had a software asset inventory that was competent and up to date and, and comprehensive, you'd be doing this in seconds as opposed to spending hours and days and, and, and weeks scanning, which is hard, expensive, and, and not super accurate, right? So you got to get ahead of there. You got to be there. You got to be three steps ahead, meaning you got to have those ducks in a row, right? You got to have your software inventory. You got to have your controls. You got to know where they are. You have to have the maturity state of those controls. You got to know how to get there. You got to know how to how to mitigate them once you find that they're vulnerable. All and, and it's not about the playbooks, right? Like people people try to focus on the incident response playbooks. That's important. It's very helpful to have when bad things go when bad things happen. But we're talking about these foundational capabilities that have to exist. And if you don't have them, running after this shiniest brain, you know, brand new thing that's out there on the horizon, you know, the new product, the new technology, the new thing that's going to save the day, right? You know, the, the thing that stops all ransomware, you know, you see some of that vendor marketing out there, or the thing that stops Log4j, how many of our inboxes got inundated by that in the last three weeks, right? So I think it's about credibility. I think it's about understanding exactly what it is you're delivering to the marketplace. And, and yeah, I think branding is important, but honesty prevails, right? It, it's, it's about credible value that you can deliver through your technology, but it's about the context. If you don't have that context and, and it's hard to, to have if you don't talk to customers. So being there tightly coupled to not just your current customers, but your prospective customers, understanding what the problem sets are. Um, I think that that's, that's hugely important. Definitely, man. And that makes sense from an internal standpoint. So then, you know, once you do that, you got to take your, uh, your, your matrix neuralizer and erase the public perception, reset the, the external viewpoint and push the new viewpoint. Yeah, well, look, it's all, it's always a transformation. And, and when you talk about the organizational context, you know, it's, it's organizational transformation. It's about behavior, right? And behavior is about incentives. So mm. how do you incentivize the folks to, um, to move forward to understand that you got to get off the axe, you know, that inertia, the organizational inertia, the individual inertia, status quo is status quo. People like to preserve it. And especially in complex environments where you have systems of systems, um, people want stability. They want equilibrium. They want things to kind of continue to hum along and, and not be disturbed. And especially if you look at, at the federal space, right? You know, and a lot of our clients come from that space. Um, we have to understand those complexities. We have to be respectful of some of the organizational uniqueness uh, that drives and characterizes the way that folks interact and the way those dynamics work. So moving things quickly may not be possible, but I think communicating the risk that that represents is also very important. Being very honest to say, look, hackers don't care about checkboxes. Why don't you get with that program, right? You know, bad guys are moving quickly. You're not. By the time you implement a product that you actually made a good decision on, like this is a product that could really help you. It could really save the day for you in many ways, right? It could be this foundational capability that crosses many different things. It could be sort of this shared capability that you can build upon across your entire program Wonderful idea, but it took you two years to implement. And by the time you did, you got breached and you lost a lot of money. By the way, now you've decayed any value out of that original purchase because you never put it in. So it, when you think about the, the time factor, 
in these exercises. It's, it's becoming a lot more important. And I think folks need to become more cognizant of that. So I think communicating that as sort of the, the initial message, it's about time. It's about time machines and, and it's about convergence. If you're converging data, you're converging function, you're creating extra value and you, you're using some of these force multiplier effects. If you're able to bring things like that in, if that is your filter, but we should be investing your time and, and, and effort and resources into. I think that's a great starting point. I think having these framing conversations where it's not, a, it's, it's never about the product, right? It's about this idea. If you believe in these ideas, it's kind of like Simon Sinek says, you know, if you believe what, what we believe, then you will buy the thing that we make. And if you don't, then I can push all the product I can into the channel. It's not going to happen. It's about the belief system. If we're on the same page with that, we can build on that. We can create that shared, unity of belief, and then we can execute together. And I think it is about partnership. I think there's been a bit of a disconnect uh, for some of our community. Uh, you know, there's this need to push product into the marketplace, get those uh, press release notes, you know, get, get, get the, the column inches and in, in all the trade rags, you know, get their words, et cetera, you know, get the VC money. That's been another big incentive, which I I'm proud to say, you know, Cumulus is not VC funded. So our incentives are completely different. We are purely focused on the customer mission. It allows us to have that freedom and, and that focus and, uh, and that precision uh, in our execution. So things like that are important to understand, you know, what are the incentives? And I think, being cognizant about those incentive models is is also uh, a big part of solving this problem with where we hope to. When you look at marketing in general, when you take something perceived as boring or you know not cool uh, from the outside looking in, where do the innovative ideas that power change come from? Where does that ingenuity come from? And how can we flip the script and put a more modern touch on topics like compliance? Well, it's, it's a perfect question, right? And I, and I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of it is about the systematic approach to thinking about these problems. You know, folks look at the creative space and they go, you know, just sit there and then things just pop into your head and then you have that light bulb moment. You go, aha, uh-huh, I got it now. But in reality, you, you do work through it, right? And so you have to have a, a concise, systematic, consistent approach for thinking about this stuff, right? And so when you think about things like brand laddering, right, which, which is one of the big things in brand management, is it, it starts with a very functional approach. You know, we have a feature, we have a thing, you, you need a wrench, we have a wrench, right? But then you realize, well, the market is full of wrenches. And and how do you differentiate from that, right? So, well, ours is better built. Okay, great, so it's quality. Or ours is better priced. Okay, so it's on price. Uh, when you buy a wrench, we'll give you another wrench. Okay, so now you're bundling, right? So you've got all these kinds of things. But th- we're still talking about the feature, right? We're just talking about the functional thing, right? Here's the, what the thing is. Here's what the thing does. I need a wrench. I have a wrench. Um, and then you start moving up, right? And, and, and as the markets become more complex, and I would say probably there's very few markets that are as complex as the cyber market. It's very loud. It's incredibly well fun- funded. You know, we've got companies spending upwards of 40% of their top line revenue on marketing activities. So it's, it's this huge space that's super loud, super intense, uh, hard to differentiate. A lot of these things seem the same. Uh, a lot of them look the same. A lot of the messaging is the same. So. How do you move up that ladder, that brand ladder to not just talk about the functional, but talk about the value, right? 
And so now you have to put it in the context of a specific customer. You have to understand their problem set. You have to work with them to deliver that value kind of through the entire purchasing experience. And the big differentiator over the last five to six years, and I think it's going to continue to be that way, is understanding not only how you fit, you know, that, that product market fit, right? The problem solution set uh, pairing, but, um, but understanding what the customer's aspirations are, right? What are they trying to achieve, not just with your product? What are they trying to accomplish? Period. And, and where do you fit in that model? How do you support that? And then, of course, the ultimate kind of the pinnacle of that is how does it make them all feel, right? And, and you start to go to incentives, right? You know, for a CISO in a specific environment, they might, their metric, and you won't know that until you talk to them, right? Until you have that relationship where you can ask these questions, right? Where they will tell you, uh, well, the way I report my progress, the way I report my commitments and, and my achievements for the year is based on X. What is my product? What is my technology? What does my service fit within that model? And if it doesn't, we can't shoehorn it in, right? It either fits or it doesn't. Now, if we need to, we, we talk to 10 customers and realize, well, they all have the same problem. They all have the same incentives and we don't fit that. Then we go back to product market fit, right? And, and I think the idea is that you cycle through that process continuously, right? So it's not, you know, we ship the product and then we wait and then we wait and then we wait. And then, you know, a year from then we realize, oh, it didn't work. And, and now we're stuck and now a year is shot, right? It has to be this agile development effort. So it's kind of, you know, DevSecOps, same story, but for branding, right? And now living in a digital world where everything is just online, all the events have gone virtual, you know, we have all these metrics. So we know what works and what doesn't. We know which messages work and which messages don't. So being more creative about it, and being more uh, precise about it also, managing it correctly, having that digital marketing function tightly coupled to your branding, to your sales, to your product dev, where you can have these opportunities to feed that data back and improve your product, improve your features. But you got to put it in the context. you got to have that framing, right? It's that, that value framing has to be there. And I think the other idea is that, and I think a lot of folks that I see are struggling with that is, you can deliver value without delivering product. And I don't mean consulting engagement or stuff like that, right? I, I mean, you can create the perception of value delivered, whether or not there was a purchase made. And if you can decouple those things and, and really focus on honestly, authentically, credibly, willing to deliver value altruistically with no expectation, no quid pro quo, nothing coming back, I think that creates that brand differentiation. I think it paints you in a different light. I think it makes you stand out from the crowd. It makes you not seem like just another vendor pushing product. You seem to be interested in solving the real problem because you take the time to care what that problem is. And I think that stands up, that, that, that stands, stands out and I think makes you stand apart. I really appreciate the way that you just explained that. I think you phrased it perfectly. Um, it's a mindset our industry needs to adopt more and even you know beyond our industry as well. So I want to ask you about our threat. And as you know, I recently interviewed John Kindervog, aka the godfather of Zero Trust. And we had an awesome conversation about that, but I know that our threat is something that both you and John are involved with. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that? 
Yeah, actually, one time in my life, I preceded John uh, in something. I, I joined the Arthrad Advisory Board uh, right ahead of him. So uh, I was right in the pipeline. So Arthrad, you know, again, it's that message of continuous validation. Um, Arthrad is doing some great work uh, in that space. I think they're huge innovators, which is why I joined the advisory board, because I think the value that they're bringing to the marketplace is not only in, in, in the product and the solution that they're delivering, it's by reframing the debate around what it means to do continuous control validation and and real breach and attack emulation, which is their term. Um, a lot of the folks are calling it breach and attack simulation. I, I like the emulation branding. And and I think what Hugo and, and the, the gang at the Arthrad is doing, they're rethinking the problem set, right? They kind of, they went back to the drawing board and they spent the time to figure out what the actual problem is. The actual problem is that Red teaming, purple teaming is a highly manually intensive effort. How do you automate that and still keep it credible and realistic? How do you not turn that, you know, by automating, how do you not turn it into just another vulnerability scan? And, and that's what they focused on. I think they achieved it and they, they're continuing to push the envelope on that. And, and the idea really is you want to test realistically. You want to have as, as realistic a test of your environment as possible. And I think it goes not only to the technical, but also to the strategic. And what I mean by that is, as a CISO, my question to my team has always been, how do we validate that what we're doing is correct? How do I stand up in front of the board the day after the breach? And that's a great mental exercise, by the way, to do. As any CISO who's listening, ask yourself that. Your breach today, which you should assume you are already anyway, uh, and tomorrow you're going to get called in. Yeah, by the way, I know tomorrow Saturday. You're going to get called in tomorrow and ask what do we do right? What do we do wrong? What are we doing now? Of course, you know about the incident response and the mitigation effort. But from a program perspective, what did we do right and what did we do wrong? And is there a systemic issue that led to this breach? Or is this a one-off that we just have to accept? Can you answer that question credibly? And I know a lot of systems who struggle to do that. And I as a system struggle to do that because your environment is vast and complex. You have a lot of controls in place. And if the best you can do is, uh, well, we've seen a recent TV appearance of, of uh, a CEO of a company that was breached. Let's leave them nameless, but we know who we're talking about. It was a congressional testimony. And, and, and when they were asked what happened and did they do everything they could, all they could do is hold up their compliance report that was like six months old, right? And, and as we said, hackers don't care about checkboxes. They, they care about what they can find and penetrate now. So if you're operating on those kinds of cadences, if you're relying on that compliance report, that's very static and, and it's based on, you know, maybe the truth, maybe not from a while ago, you're not operating on that same, in that same, not, not on that same time scale, not with the same set of facts. So I think validating your program by validating your controls on a continuous basis, which is what Arthrite is doing, uh, I think it's hugely important. I think you cannot stand in a room of business leaders who are writing the checks for all the toys that you buy and all the teams that you have. And, and answer for that and say, look, this is the return on investment that we've got. And we are protecting our company in this very quantified way. And by the way, how do I know? Because we just tested it this morning. And when I say tested, I don't mean a vulnerability scan. I mean, we actually ran a series of attacks and I can tell you to the level of a single control, to that level of granularity, where we stand. And now that we know, I know how I'm going to mitigate it. I'm going to, I know how I'm going to point my limited resources into these critical areas. And by the way, all of that, I know how it maps to my business 
value chain because I, because I know how that works too, right? So all of that together, I think, makes for a very credible, very competent, very dynamic, adaptable, real program. Uh, and absent of that, I think we're flailing at, at we're tilting in windmills. I think uh, you're flailing in the dark. You're not informed by real facts. Uh, you're taking a lot of assumptions. And, and I know, look, leadership is, is about making imperfect decisions with insufficient information. That way we get that. If you're in that seat, that part, that, that comes with the territory. But reducing that fog of war to the degree possible and making as much of that information available to make those decisions informed decisions. I think that's an absolute aspirational goal that everybody should so aspire to. So our threat surfaces that information. It tells you that on a daily basis. So to me, again, it fits within that converged model and it fits within that time machine model. It gets you ahead of the threat and it does it with a credible, credible level of information. Yeah, I love that. And, and I completely agree with that approach. Validate not by only mimicking your tech, but mimic your tech, your users, and, you know, your entire program. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's about mimicking behavior. And again, you know, we're talking about the human factors a lot. And, and I think it's if you can capture and mimic true, credible attacker behavior, and you can do it repeatedly, while you're still fuzzing that behavior to a certain degree, right? So it's not the same attack that you're running 10 times a second, where you have that variability where you're, you're migrating and, and moving around and you're mutating, that's very important, right? Because that, again, mimics that real behavior. So if you can do that, that's credible. If you're just running scans, nobody cares. You know, 2022, I, I wouldn't care about that as a CISO, and, and I certainly wouldn't advise anybody else to care. There, again, there are these baseline things that you do, of course, but we're talking about a next level, kind of next generation, whatever that means anymore, right? But it is a next generation, more evolved capability. We're talking about modern solutions to modern problems <laughs> to paraphrase that meme right and and um i think our threat represents that i think cumulus represents that which is why i'm affiliated with both companies and i and i think it's it's important to kind of capture that novel thinking in the in the industry and as as we look across and we look for you know what can help us it's it's a kind of a thing right you you again it's that heuristic device right how do i select from 4800 vendors they're out there all screaming for my attention on a daily basis. How do I select from that? And, and, and I think that first cut is, you know, is it converging my views? Is it giving me that converged understanding of risk within the context of my environment? Does it make it real for me? Does it matter to me? And then am I able to get into some kind of a time machine, time capsule and travel ahead and predict, right? It's that predictable risk management, predictive risk management. Can I predict what the threat might look like? Yes, I can, right? And so if, if I can, then, then I'm in a whole different place. Then, then I, can, I can credibly manage my program and I can answer for every dollar that I spend. Without it, I think you're, you're flailing in the dark. Well, speaking of traveling ahead, uh, I know you travel quite a bit. And with the pandemic, I know that may have slowed down uh, somewhat, but within your travels, state to state, country to country, what would you say is the coolest bar you've ever been to? You know, that's a perfect question. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm on the barcode podcast and I know that's going to come up uh, at some point. Uh, Dr. Stravinsky in Barcelona. Ah, I would say hands down my favorite bar that I've been to so far. And, and fair warning, I'm not even a cocktail drinker, but I do appreciate a nice whiskey and I appreciate a great ambience and environment and uh, 
I can say just happening upon Dr. Stravinsky in Barcelona, no awning, no sign that I remember, uh, just walking through one of those little alleys and, and streets and, uh, and just boom, there it was meeting me as I turned the corner and, uh, incredible, incredible place. Um, I would say, ask about the secret room. I'll leave you there, uh, with that little tip. Um, insane been there three times love it can't wait to go back can't wait till we can you know come back to normal and and just get on a plane and go to barcelona for the weekend uh so that's a little far away as far as we know now but uh, can't wait to do that nice man well i'm down you just let me know when and i'm there awesome i'm there with you my friend well i just heard last call here at barcode you got time for one more of course awesome so if you decided to open a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? Well, you know, uh, I, I can't say I could come up with a better name than you did. Barcode. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. Thank you. I love it. I think it captures the essence of it. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm in barcode, man. I'm, I'm coming back for another one. A signature drink. I would say uh, the Mitigator. It's a vodka with a splash of pickle juice. Vodka with a splash of pickle juice. Yeah, pickle juice, right? So that's the old hangover remedy. So you're mitigating the threat ahead of the threat. There you go. Here's your time machine again. There it is. I love that. I love that concept. There you go. Well, thanks again, Igor. I appreciate you stopping through. Uh, Before you go, can you share with us where we can connect with you online? Absolutely. Find me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. Uh, follow me. Connect with me. I'm, I'll, I accept all comers. Uh, it's Igor Volovich on LinkedIn. And uh, on Twitter, it's at Cyber Igor. Awesome. Hey, thanks again. Take care. Be safe. And I'll see you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Take care. Barco patrons. If you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash barcode podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.